You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era and improv news stories right here in real time to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV shows, and games. I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we were raised by rentals. Mike, it's our 11th improv improve episode. Number 11. We made it into the double digits last episode, and here we are uh, continuing the trend. And I almost, in our little intro added one additional property uh, or I guess format to talk about. I mentioned TV shows and movies and games like we always do, but also toys, which is something that we don't normally talk about on Raised by Rentals. And you mentioned it on our last Improv Improve episode when you confused us for Creepy Head. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But then that got like the wheels turning and we were spinning and I know you were talking with Michael LeMay on on the Count Creepy Head podcast about Masters of the Universe. And so you said, hey, let's do a Motu episode. And I said, OK, <laughs> so absolutely. What is it that you want to do, Mike? What why were you and uh, and LeMay so excited about Masters of the Universe? Well, I mean, aside from the fact that it was definitely one of my favorite childhood toy properties, um, along with G.I. Joe and Ninja Turtles. Uh, it's it's one of those things that I remember as a kid being very excited for the film, um, enjoying what I got, but having be, being left with a lot of questions. You know, even even as a, a seven year old kid, so they're like, where 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 was Merman? Where where was Orko? Where was Battle Cat? Why were they on Earth? <laughs> like, who's Lubick? There was a lot of questions. Um, so my thought process was. Let's take the original Canon Pictures Masters of the Universe movie, keeping in mind the limitations of the time and the budgetary constraints, because it was a Canon picture. And what could we do to improve it? How could we have fixed that 1987 film? And right. it, it's been a while since we, we've taken a, a, a film or a property and just kind of like not erased it or sequelized it or anything like that, but just changed it, you know, improved, improved. Improv, improved. Yeah, we do mention that all the time. And I think we typically lean toward like adding to the franchise in some way. We don't really improve as much as we would like to do. I know we have our Revenge of the Nerds episodes that we'll get to eventually. We keep bringing that one up. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, I like that. And I think that this is a really good candidate for it because uh, people of our era who grew up with in the VHS era that we mentioned uh, in our, mm-hmm. our tagline, you know, exactly. Like we grew up with these properties with the GI Joes and the Voltrons and the Transformers. And this is definitely one of the big ones, you know, the one, what the yeah. standout uh, franchises from the toy line to the filmation cartoon to the live action movie. And then later on the comic books and the reboots and the relaunches and to the point now where I personally have no idea where the franchise lives. I haven't seen any of the recent TV shows. I haven't collected or seen any of the toys since I was a kid. I have no idea 
other than I know that there's like multiple um, new installments in the franchise that are keeping people like yourself excited. Right. Am I yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's the two great Netflix shows. Uh, I know the Kevin Smith one revelations got a lot of hate. I personally loved it. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I can't wait for the next season. The new uh, CGI He-Man and the Masters of the Universe is the perfect blend of nostalgia while giving us something completely brand new, um, completely taking the, the series in a different direction, and it's kid-friendly. So it's 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 that – it reminds me a lot of the Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they brought that back where they were like, all right, let's keep the old school fans in mind and have a lot of nods to the previous series and a lot of nostalgic stuff but tell our own stories while still making it exciting for kids. And I, I loved it. That's my favorite turtles of all time. And uh, this new masters is quickly becoming one of my favorites because it follows that same formula and is, is trying to blend like newcomers with, with all us old folks. And uh, I love when, when a property can do that. But, and then of course there's the toy lines. I mean, we talk about it on creepy head all the time. There's, Currently running, there's uh, Masters of the Universe Origins, which is basically updating the old toys with new articulation. Uh, there's these minifigures for you know people who like those. Then there's the um, Masterverse line, which is basically big six-inch figures. And then there's the new He-Man and the Masters of the Universe CGI cartoon toys that I just mentioned. So there's a lot of Masters properties going on right now. So I feel like this is the right time to revisit this and, you know talk about what we didn't like and, and what didn't work and maybe see what we can do to fix it. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. That's a great idea. And I remember seeing the 1987 masters of the universe movie when it came out in theaters, you know, mm -hmm. I was one of the people who uh, convinced my parents to plunk down some cash toward the, I think 17 million or so that the movie brought in that you know was not, <laughs> not the budget. So I know it was, it was considered a flop, you know, at the time. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think in years since it's become a little bit of a cult classic, at least, you know, for, for folks like you and me, oh, uh, especially, especially, obviously you're still a huge fan of the newer properties, right? So obviously mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen this movie a hundred times. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, but I remember I really liked it as a kid. Well, I don't know if really is the right adjective. I remember I enjoyed it and I watched it a ton of times. And when it came on home video, uh, I definitely added it to my normal rotation. I'm sure I had it taped off HBO or, or one of those paid yep. channels. That was our MO back in the day. But I also remember being disappointed with it. You know, like, again, like, where's, you know, the trap jaw? You know, where's uh, Stratos? You know, whatever. Yep. Like, where's all these characters that uh, we were also familiar with? Hell, where's Prince Adam? You know, the, right. uh, the sort of, uh, you know, human incarnation of He-Man. And I remember just being really confused by it. But... At the same time, it wasn't that out of the ordinary for adaptations of the time, right? To change a lot for the movie. So yeah. it was like, I got it. Like, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, they've done this again. But even at seven years old, I remember thinking, like, man, you know, <laughs> they don't have right. Battle Cat. I want Battle Cat in my heat <laughs> exactly. man. Exactly. <laughs> um, but there's definitely a lot to like about it. I really like Skeletor's design in the movie. I prefer <laughs> the blue purple green faced version from you know the the toy line in the original cartoon 
Although, you know, he is wearing like little underwear, <laughs> like a lot of the characters are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like his big, like, uh, grand robe that he has uh, in the movie. I think uh, I don't like his weird golden god version at the end so much, but, yeah. uh, you know, his, <laughs> his black robe, like evil wizard look, I think is great. And it's actually kind of a mixture of Skeletor and Hordak in a way, too. I think, yeah, uh, just color scheme. Uh, so, you know, I dug that and, you know, He-Man was pretty, He-Man the character was pretty loyal to the toy and cartoon version for the most part. Dolph Lundgren is probably the best person they could have cast just in terms of physicality, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think he had the Schwarzenegger problem of, uh, you know, having to really, really struggle with his accent and his English. But, uh, you know, I thought he pulled it off okay, you know. No, the rest of the characters, the rest of the movie. I mean, eh, we could probably debate, you know. <laughs> See, personally, I, I I think as far as the masters cast, um, you know, the the people playing, you know, Tila, Man at Arms, Evelyn, like I'm fine with all that. Like, I got no problem with the the overall uh, Eternian cast. Let's say my problem is specifically with Earth. Like they should have, ne- like that whole plot needed to be cut out of the film. Um, in fact, I will go so far as to say we have the Raul Julia problem in this movie where we have a fantastic actor with Frank Langella just putting in a freaking amazing performance. Like every line Skeletor speaks, doesn't matter how cheesy the dialogue is. He owns it. He's so good. <laughs> and I, I, I can't get it. Like, you know, the tell me the loneliness of good he man. It's like, dude, you're so good at this. Like, I I love him. I love him as Skeletor, and and for and uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren as as He Man, he he was the embodiment of that cartoon character. Like, you know, he was you know uh, lawful good. <laughs> you know, it's like he yeah. made mm-hmm. sense as the character. You're right. He had the physicality. The outfit worked fine. Um, he was the only one with the little shorty shorts. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> oh, else was rocking know- those. Yeah, you know, and I, I need to look at it again because maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I was watching the movie again today, and I've been so busy that I didn't really have a lot of time to prep for this episode, and I really only watched the movie today while simultaneously reading some of the mini-comics, which we'll circle back to here in just a bit. Yes. And uh, But I noticed for the first time that I think Blade had little underpants on underneath his like uh, chainmail uh, cowl or whatever it was. What if you call it, whatever you call that cloth that like, you know, armored knights put over their armor. I forget what you call that sort of a, they call it like a surcoat or something. Right. Um, and his was made of chain mail. Cause I remember there was a scene where they're, 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 they're running in defeat, you know, they run away, run away from uh, their right. first fight with He-Man on earth when He-Man rescues uh, Courtney Cox's super annoying character. And oh. as he's running away, I'm like, are those his thighs? Like he looks like, uh, like uh, what's his name? Tim Capella, like saxophone dude from the Lost Boys, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like so, like so unnecessary, you know. But yeah, yeah, it you're really right. Was. He-Man really stands out as a goofy-looking character, I think, in the movie because they redesigned characters like Man at Arms and Skeletor and Tila to make them, I guess, quote unquote, realistic, you know, or at least, you know, more paramilitary sci-fi. And then you have this like barbarian wearing a loincloth that really stands out. <laughs> well, you know, one thing we, we, sh- we should talk about the, the movie proper, um, like just some of the, the high points and low points of the film. But for like, 
I, I don't know how many people listening uh, will be super familiar with the movie, but the basic premise of this film, we have the Masters of the Universe, uh, the like Skeletor and He-Man fighting, you know, at Grayskull. Skeletor gets into Grayskull with the, the MacGuffin of the movie, the Cosmic Key. Um, the prison's a sorceress, and then, you know, fights break out, yada, yada. He-Man, Gwildor, a new character, Man-at-Arms and Tila get sent to Earth. <laughs> they open a portal and go to Earth. And then we get a long, boring slog of the Masters on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. so boring. But some moments to note, uh, just stuff I found humorous about the actual film. Um, the fact that they played Living in a Box, that cracked me up. I'm like, I haven't heard this song in forever. And it's just like, living in a box. I'm living in a cardboard box. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's so um, 80s. The, the whole Earth sequence is so 80s. Oh, it's it's, so it's almost like comical. Uh, Tila drives me crazy. She's like a total bitch throughout the entire movie. And then at the very end, she's like, acts like she loves everybody. Um, Gwildor is straight up a hobbit. Like, they actually, <laughs> he actually yeah. says, I hate, or I hate adventure. And I'm like, he's Bilbo Baggins all of a sudden. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but this, I mentioned to you in a text uh, last night, along with the the fellows over at Count Creepyhead, because I was kind of freaking out that I never noticed this before. So William Stout is the production designer. Really good production designer. Does a lot of great uh, 80s horror and sci-fi and action movies. A lot of stuff we love. Particularly my all-time favorite movie, Return of the Living Dead. He's the guy responsible for the look of all the zombies, the look of the graveyard. And one of my my favorite set pieces of that film, the Weeping Angel statue, which is in it's prominently mm-hmm. displayed in the graveyard of the Resurrection uh, Cemetery. So I never noticed this before. But when Julie and her boyfriend, Kevin, are visiting Julie's uh, parents graves, there's the Weeping Angel statue. So I freaked the hell out when I saw that. And as you know, you, you know, I sent pictures like, ah, look at this. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, Josh over on creepy head said, all right, that's it. It's Canon. Julie's parents are buried in the resurrection funeral or re- resurrection cemetery. And uh, they came back in the zombie invasion. <laughs> so I thought yeah. that was freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. I think, yeah. Return to the living dead. And, he-Man exists in the same continuity now. Like, exactly. Boom. <laughs> so we, oh we, we, ha- we have to continue working on our Arnie-verse of combining every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie <laughs> together in some way. And I had mentioned to you that, like, Stallone is coming. Like, we're eventually going to oh, expand yeah. into every Sylvester Stallone movie because there's already crossover. And I think it would be hilarious to, you know, combine like Rocky and Rambo and some of Stallone's <laughs> other big characters. And it's like, I mean, how long is it going to be before we have like the Terminator versus He-Man? I mean, it's it's the roadmap is very obvious. You know? There's definitely a six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing going on there. But, I mean, really, all you got to do is look at Last Action Hero, because Stallone plays the Terminator in Last Action Hero. Yeah, So, exactly. th- there's definitely a connection. There's definitely <laughs> a connection. And I'm thinking that, like, Ivan Drago is, like, an alternate reality version of He-Man, right? And then there's oh, got to yeah. be some movie where we do, like, uh, like the Marvel comics, The Stranger, we, we do his, like, Contest of Champions, and we have a cosmic boxing <laughs> match where Rocky gets to fight He-Man. Yes. 
because <laughs> oh, that's how my brain works. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Okay. So I think we're, we've done a lot of intro here. I'm going to do just a little bit more for anyone who could maybe be confused as to what we're talking about. I don't know how anyone would listen to this show and not know what the masters of the universe are and who He-Man is, but you know, just a couple of quick little facts to throw out there. And you're more the expert than me, so I'm just rattling off uh, things I looked up. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right so you correct me, but obviously, so the toy line um, launched first. And there's a point to this because I think that our approach for improving the live action movie is going to hinge on how we approach the era of the franchise. Like what exactly do we want to try to adapt better? So the toy line starts in 1981 and the toys are packaged with mini comics, right? Little, um, I say comics, but really it was more of like a story book, an illustrated story book at first. There was like a drawing with like some text and, you know, told a little story of who He-Man and some of the other characters were. So the kids of the early 80s buying the toys would understand you know, what the story was and who these weird monster looking characters are and, you know, and maybe have uh, a jumping off point for, you know, their playtime at home. And then, uh, you know, the stories in the mini comics or little storybooks built a sort of continuity over time. There are some contradictions and characters like the sorceress are just unexplained and just totally like, you know, redesigned <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah. And Tila and the sorceress are kind of confused and mixed up a couple of different times. Um, but for the most part, like you could have read them, you know, and, and, and it tells a story over time as you buy more into the toys. And then the filmation cartoon comes out in 1983. And I think that more, Probably even more so than the toys, the cartoon is really what makes He-Man a huge uh, property, like a blockbuster hit in the 80s is the cartoon, which was a massive hit. And like most other cartoons geared toward boys in the 80s, it was just like a 30-minute commercial for <laughs> toys oh, that, oh, that yeah. aired commercials for the actual toys on the commercial breaks for the long-form cartoon that was just a commercial for the toys. <laughs> um Right. And then so then they do the live action movie in 1987, the one we're talking about now. And then you know, you mentioned from there, like the, the property continues uh, through comics and other cartoons and, you know, relaunch toy lines, et cetera, et cetera. But I wanted to bring it back because you and, and I know you had mentioned this when we were sort of planning what our next episode would be. And I was asking, you know, why do Master of the Universe like what's interesting about that? Yeah, we can probably make the movie better, but. Honestly, it's not that hard <laughs> to make this movie better, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> most of it, I mean, a big chunks of it, like, kind of suck. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> like taking He-Man to Earth was a huge misstep, and mm -hmm. casting Courtney Cox in pretty much anything but Scream, you know, is <laughs> probably not a good idea. <laughs> well, you know, some Counting Crows videos, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love the Counting Crows, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah, so the point is, like, we could definitely make the movie a lot better. And I think that the approach is important because we, you and I already mentioned, and I'm sure every kid in 1997 was wondering the same thing that I was wondering, which is, you know, where are our favorite characters? Again, like, where's Merman? Where's Trapjaw? Where's, you know, Hell Stinkor? I mean, anybody, right? Give, mm -hmm. give me somebody that I recognize. Why do we have Karg? <laughs> yeah. And what's his name? Sorod or Sorid or yeah, some Sorod. shit? Like, 
Yep. And, you know, Blade was cool. I, I, I didn't complain too much about Blade when I was a kid other than, again, why? Why in this movie? Like, right. put him in something else. And, and I, side note, I noticed today that the, his head piece that he wears uh, looks exactly like uh, like a Rob Liefeld character would wear in the 90s. Like, it's, uh, you know, Cable yes. had these weird, like, head pieces or this char- the character Dutch from Youngblood. It was, like, the exact same thing, even though uh, – <laughs> That's actually a Chap Heap character, not Liefeld. But still, like, it was such a popular design for superheroes in the 90s for some reason. They had these, like, weird head pieces that were, like, chin straps with, like, blades and antennas and guns and shit on them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So weird. Anyway, so the, are we going to just take the cartoon characters and stick them to a live action movie and say, well, this is what I would have done if I had the you know keys to the kingdom and I would have taken my action figures and smashed them up like this and it would have been more fun. <laughs> or do we say, no, 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 no. Like let's go back and, and put our heads in the, uh, the producers uh, you know, of the time, right? It was a Canon film, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, I, I read that they actually bought the rights to adapt the toy line into a movie before the filmation cartoon even came out. Mm-hmm. So, that's a that's probably a big part of the reason why they didn't use some of the characters, either because they didn't have rights to them or they they already had the movie in some level of pre-production before they even knew about some of the other characters. Um, I still call a little bit of bullshit on that because Merman was totally in those first mini comics and those, you know, first toy. Oh, yeah. But whatever. Yeah. Like, I think there's well, there's at least some argument to be made that they weren't adapting the cartoon. They were adapting the toy line. And I right. think that that's an interesting angle. But go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, well, any of the characters that there are toys of in the classic uh, Mattel property, I, I'm at least I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain those are 100 percent owned by Mattel. Now, there were characters that were definitely made for filmation, uh, like I know, like Lizard Man, um, was it like uh, I think Strongor is one of them. Like there, there's a few characters that were created specifically for the filmation show that never got toys until masters of the universe classics where they had, they, they struck a deal with filmation and got a bunch of those characters and the rights to make them. Um, it's the same reason why we never got toys of Dolph Lundgren as he man and Frank Langella as Skeletor. We only got the characters made for the movie like Gwildor, Sarad and blade, um, which I'm still a little side note on that. I'm still salty that we never got any of the soldiers. Cause I always loved the, the weird, like black stormtrooper armored dudes. Like I thought those guys looked really cool and I was mad that we never got toys of them. <laughs> they are they are really cool. I was noticing that today. Like they're definitely some of the best designs in the movie. Again, right up there. Yeah. I really like, I really like Skeletor's design too. Yeah. The, Skeletor and his army looked looked so cool. Right. And like some of those vehicles were, were interesting looking like the weird, like chariot thing. Skeletor's like, you could totally see that being an eighties toy. You know. Yeah, especially since it's pretty clear that they were trying to make Skeletor exactly like the Emperor from Star Wars, like <laughs> right from, from Return of the Jedi specifically. Yeah, his weird little like floating chariot with like the the round like red lights behind him and like the long black robe, and he had these like yep. black black armored soldiers. Like it was totally just the Emperor, but yeah, I'm I'm digging it, so I'm not complaining at all. But I just why didn't we get toys? But you know, anyway, um, but yeah, so I think that. Even if it was just toy line property only and no filmation, um, I mean, that could kind of explain away, like, why Prince Adam wasn't a part of it. Because I know Prince Adam was was started in the filmation and then brought into the toy in mini comics. So there might have been some kind of legalities there. But 
as far as like all the main characters that we know and love from the toys and the and the comics, like they should have been fair game. Um, so personally, like if we're, we're going to look at this, yes, I agree. We have to look at it through the lens of 1980s canon picture. Um, and we have to keep in mind, like it's very easy to look at how nerd properties are made nowadays. You know, it's like, it, I mean, shit, look at it, Marvel films is one of the biggest cash cows in entertainment right now. But back then, these types of films uh, and these types of properties were considered a risk. I mean, look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when New Line did that. New Line, that was like, that was considered an indie film, you know, yeah. <laughs> but they they killed it. I mean, thank God for Jim Henson Company, but they fucking killed it. That's a it's a great example of how you do a, a comic book, a comic book movie with no budget, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but my point being, these films were still considered a risk, so they weren't going to throw a lot of money at them. So we have to keep that in mind. So just just taking the, the stuff from the actual film that I would say we just need to, like, tweak and improve on. Uh, let, let's take a look at some of the designs. So like man at arms and Tila and all that man at arms. Fine. Keep the, the overall look spray paint his armor green. Give us a dark green armor. Just have it look more like the, the comics and toys instead of the sword on his back, put a mace on his back. He never fucking used it anyway, but we would all recognize it as, Hey, that's man at arms mace. Like mm-hmm. there's no reason that the prop department couldn't have stuck a freaking mace on there instead of a sword. Um, Tila should look a lot less like an extra from star crash and more like Tila take that armor that she has and add some snake themes. You know, maybe the, the pauldrons have them look like a little snake, like a Cobra, you know, the, the stuff on her chest, like the, the chest armor, have mm-hmm. them be, have just have like a snake engravement on it. Something that says Tila, you know, she looks like she literally walked off the set of star crash and it just doesn't look right. Um, Skeletor. I know we both said we liked the design. I would have preferred it if his black cloak was black and purple. Just just add that little give us some of the purple. Give us some of the Skeletor. Make yeah. it look more like the cartoon, you know? Yeah, sorry um, to interrupt. If his face was more of that greenish yellow, the, the makeup was fine. Like the yeah. white the white looked okay, but the white should have been the undercoat. Like just yeah. you know, get some get some airbrushing and like spray some yellow and green on his features and make him look sickly and like an old bone and it would have been perfect. I totally agree. Um I'm actually fine with the look of Evil Lynn. Like I, I would have preferred more purples and dark blues to to kind of match the uh, the original color scheme, but the, the outfit worked. Beast Man I thought worked, other than that clunky ass sword that he was tripping over in half the movie. Give, give him <laughs> yeah. give him his whip. Beat Man, he never uses the sword in the movie anyways, but Beast Man is known for his whip. So just have his whip hanging off his belt instead of a damn sword. Um, and then like Sorceress, I like the look for Sorceress, but I have one major complaint. Why did she have crystals all over her head instead of feathers? Like, she's always had a feather headdress because she transforms into the bird. Like, all they had to do was take the the crystals away and make that whole headdress with feathers and a little beak on her forehead, and boom, you have sorceress. Like, these are minor tweaks. I feel like William Stout did not like the property and was just like, I want to make a sci-fi movie. And just started taking shit from, like, Star Wars and Star Crash and Star Trek and just putting it into masters and that bugs me yeah um, which is probably probably another reason why you have characters like sarad and card because they were probably just characters that he designed because he wanted to do a cool monster mask and it right. had nothing to do you know with the 
the cartoon of the toy line. I mean, Surat is kind of Merman. You know what I mean? It's like right, there's, some, the- there's some connection there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he was just like, no, like I designed some monsters and I want to use them somewhere. And, you know, and the funny thing is like, that's, I, I feel like that's totally fine for the era because, you know, being a toy movie, they're, they're, they were going to want to cash in. So it's like, okay, give us some new characters that you can then make toys out of and sell to the kids watching the film. So sure. Give us Sarad, give us Gwildor, give us Blade. Get, well, Karg, we never got a toy of, but get, give us a Karg toy. Give us, you know, the the Centurions or whatever he was calling his soldiers, the army. That That's all cool. But get rid of all the Earth shit and replace it with some of the actual Eternian characters we know and love. Like, there's no reason that we couldn't have had, like, Jitsu or Fisto. Those are just dudes with some armor, you know, Clamp Champ, mm-hmm. again, dudes with some armor. We could have had these characters for little budget, like very little budget. Um, you know, we could have even had like Stratos and Mer- like Merman. Yeah, I know it would have taken a little more uh, prosthetic work and some masks wor- and stuff like that. So, yeah, maybe a little higher budget there, but I think it would have been worth it. And Stratos, he's just a dude with a helmet and some feathers. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> so... I feel like the master's designs allow for uh, some cheap production value. So those are just some things I feel like we could have easily added in or changed from the existing property. One uh, before we get into the actual improv proper, because I I have a bunch of stuff to talk about there. um, I feel like one major change with the character of Gwildor, because I want to drop the whole cosmic key bullshit. I think that the the cosmic key MacGuffin was a huge mistake, and I, yeah, and I have I have a much better idea for that. Oh yeah, it's it's like oh look, it's a Japanese keyboard or a synthesizer, whatever it was. Ugh, it's lame. Yeah, but, no, it sucks. Well, see, what's I what's ironic about all the Earth bullshit in the movie and the cosmic key stuff is like. It, it wasn't awful. I mean, I didn't like it, but like, I think right. the problem is that like, it didn't belong in a He-Man movie. Now, right. if you like, let, I'm not saying it's a perfect, like one for one, but like, just imagine for a moment that you had a, the last Starfighter two and you mm-hmm. took all of these elements and you cut them out of this He-Man movie. That's supposed to be about like barbarian monster characters. You take all this bullshit about a cosmic key and teleportation through space and like kids in the eighties who find it on earth. And you just make that like, a, like I said, like a, like a last Starfighter two or some other similar sort of like coming of age teen comedy sci-fi movie that were popular at the time. And you would have had a hit and it would, and fans would have loved it forever. And you would have been making cosmic key toys and just, you put, they put it in the wrong movie. Yeah, no, I totally get it. That's actually a really good point because it's not that the cosmic key looked bad or was even a bad idea, but it had no place here. You're hundred percent right on that. I mean, even like the care, okay. Like the character of Lubick, I know there's a lot of fans uh, for the, and I mean, I always forget that actor's name, but he, he is great. James Tolkien. James Tolkien. Thank I you. love James Tolkien. Yeah. He, he, he's he a was great in like actor. four movies and like he's a legend forever. <laughs> yeah. He's he's great. I love him. But again, he didn't belong in this film. Now you take that same character and apply it to the type of movie you're talking about. Perfect. Beautiful. I love it. You know, but putting him in a Masters of the Universe movie where he's just going to come in shotgunning a bunch of Skeletor shol- soldier, uh, soldiers. I can speak really shotgunning a bunch of Skeletor soldiers, it doesn't make any sense, you know? Um, but one yeah, thing... The, the, the fish out of water story doesn't work 
for He-Man. Like, no. I I would argue it didn't really work for Marvel's Thor either. And I think that's a, one of the huge problems, huge criticisms that I hear people say about the first MCU Thor movie is that mm. the fish out of water Thor didn't work. Like, it, it it hurt the character. Like, he didn't get to be the big warrior that he was supposed to be. I disagree. I think the fish out of water story works pretty well in that movie. I, I like the idea yeah. of him hitting rock bottom and then building himself back up to become the hero he deserves to be. I think that works. Yeah, but I agree. It, you know, it didn't work with He-Man because He-Man had no story arc, right? So making him yeah. a fish out of water is pointless because He-Man himself, he literally has no story arc. He has no yep. emotional change. He has no growth. He doesn't He doesn't change from, you know, no – I should say he has no revelation or, you know, uh, uh, eureka moment, nothing. Like his character is the same at the beginning as, the, as, as it is at the end. In fact, the same is true for every character in the movie with the exception of Julie and Kevin, which mm-hmm. the, the most stereotypical like 80s teen American names that are in every <laughs> fucking movie, like every dude's name is Kevin. And they're the only characters that have any kind of arc for them to grow throughout the movie. And they yep. get this like you know cheesy, sugary, happy ending, but it has nothing to do with He-Man. So that's why it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's a it's a different movie, and, or it's maybe like the, the dude wrote a cool sci somebody wrote a cool sci-fi movie about like interdimensional like you know technology, and then they were like shit, we have this He-Man property. Like find a script laying around somewhere and like shove it in there. Right. Honestly, that's probably exactly what happened with this. Because uh, again canon <laughs> being canon i they had a lot of scripts laying around um but they also did that same thing i know it wasn't canon paramount did this but paramount did that with gi joe the the uh first live action gi joe movie where they took a shelved script mm-hmm. and and turned it into gi joe which is why that first movie really doesn't feel like gi joe um whereas gi joe retaliation it's like oh cool this feels like gi joe <laughs> yeah right but, wait sorry i gotta inter- interrupt you again we're gonna go along this episode sorry everybody because <laughs> we have a lot of these rabbit trails that have been missing from our episodes <laughs> right <laughs> but you know fun side note which it's funny you mentioned gi joe it being made they made a movie out of like uh, a slush pile you know script that was like laying around and like shoehorned it in because yeah. you know the gi joe real american hero that we all know and love that's kind of how that started in the first place because right. you know larry hama got a job or he he pitched a nick fury and his helen commandos <laughs> like yep. modern day reboot for like the the 80s thinking he could bring the characters back with like modern technology and it would be like nick fury and his like band of crack commandos and like you know, whoever the powers that be didn't go for it. So when Marvel got the license to do a G.I. Joe, uh, you know, comic book to take these toys that were literally just like different types of soldiers and like make a story out of it. He was like, well, I had this Nick Fury idea, you know? Yep. <laughs> and he just and like overlaid it on G.I. Joe and it was magic, magic. I was going to say, and it worked perfect. It was like chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> Yes, so good. <laughs> Legendary. You know, so there's nothing wrong with taking like a weird slush fund idea and m- mashing it up with something you're trying to adapt. But oh, yeah, yeah it, it was a huge failure in this regard. Huge failure because, again, the, the problem is that He-Man is not the main character of the movie. Julie right. is the main character of the movie. She's the protagonist with the story arc. He-Man does nothing but protect Julie and everybody else. So that's why it doesn't make any sense to me because he's not the main character of his own fucking movie. Right. This is this is the same same problem I had, and I know I bitched about this on another episode, but with the the 2020 Mortal Kombat movie, 
none of the characters from Mortal Kombat are the main character. They create this brand new guy and he's the main character. It's like, why? Why? When you have this cast of great characters that people love and have attachments to, why are we going to create this analog to be like, oh, this is so the audience can relate to them? Fuck that. We don't want that. (laughs) Give us the characters we're here to see. I know the audiences relate to the characters that they enjoy already because you're adapting something that they already like. They don't, you don't need like a gateway character. They right. you already have them. You sold it to them already as a toy or a comic or whatever. And now right. you're going to sell it to them a second time. So just give them exactly what they want and they will bring the dollar bills to the movie theater. Like that's, Oh God, it, this, it is, this could be simple. a rant episode at this point. <laughs> It does. It seems like, like okay. So yeah, we're gonna have to do a rant on when when what what happens when Hollywood like adapts things into like movies and the shit that they change and the shit that they don't change and why and right. it's usually usually terrible. <laughs> right. So I agree. But, All right. But, uh, Sorry. Go one, ahead. One thing I wa- I have to mention uh, that I laughed really fucking hard at and had to like rewind was Julie's talking about her dead parents. And she tells Kevin at the at their grave um, how she's like, it's my fault they're dead. And he's like, no, you can't blame yourself. And she goes, I was supposed to go to the beach with him that day. But instead, I told him I had to study because I wanted to hang out with you. So they got on that plane and they died. And I started cracking up because she basically was like, my parents are dead because of your dick, Kevin. <laughs> 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 I freaking lost it. Oh God! Like yeah, was... gosh, what a guilt trip, right? Like I, I was so horny, I killed my parents. <laughs> right. Uh, and then the other thing I gotta say is at the very end of the movie, when they're when they're gonna get sent back to to Earth, and Gwildor is like, "We can send you to any time, past, present, or future," and she was like, "No, nah, no, nah, that's all right. Goodbye." And then as they're leaving, she's like, "Oh wait, like." Dude, really? Like, I slapped my head so damn hard because, like, you bitched about if only you could go back and stop your parents from getting on that plane. You bitched about that throughout the whole fucking movie. And then here you're given the chance. And rather than being like, oh, my God, you know, this is what I've been wanting. You're like, no, nah, we're good. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, what? It's been fun. Wait, I feel like I feel like I'm forgetting something. Right. I was like, dude. <laughs> and then, oh. This again, another moment I had to I, I laughed my ass up at is poor Carl, the gym teacher. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so Karg, Beastman and Blade are fucking up the gym, chasing after Julie. And the gym teacher, Carl, comes. He's like, hey, you kids can't be in here. And they just beat the shit out of him. I know. And then later on, when Kevin sees him putting put, put in the ambulance and he asks him what happened, he's like, you don't ever want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so oh, holy well, shit. Okay, they got this- Carl. but so this is what i'm saying like it's not terrible stuff it's just a perfectly serviceable like cheesy 80s science fiction movie except it's like they stuck him in in it for some reason right and that's what doesn't make any sense that they they stuck two movies together that don't make sense it's not like chocolate and peanut butter it's like chocolate and mayonnaise like these things do not go together right (laughs) they're fine on their own yeah yeah. exactly and maybe you know maybe they're not for everyone's taste but they're okay on their own if you're into that sort of thing but you don't put them together it doesn't make any fucking sense (laughs) okay so Quick question. Did you notice the, the, the guard tripping in the beginning of the movie? No. <laughs> there, <there's, laughs> I didn't see it. 
there's the 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 they're taking the Eternians prisoners, the the soldiers, and they're like walking through the the outland area outside of Grayskull, and this one dude right in the foreground totally trips. <laughs> like, like you know he couldn't see where the fuck he was going in that outfit yeah probably not like that stormtrooper that bangs his head in the door yep. in star wars and they're like yeah just fuck it leave it in right <laughs> oh my okay God. but all right so let's get into this proper yeah so as i mentioned before like i i don't know nearly as much about masters of the universe as you do so i'm kind of the newbie here right you're the old hat i'm kind of the newbie for me it was just i love the toys as a kid i love the cartoon as a kid i've read some i read some of the mini comics back in the day, I read some of the the uh, comic uh, adaptations that were coming out in the early 2000s, and that's it. But mm-hmm. having recently reread some of the early mini comics, just you know, for some research, I definitely think we need to go all the way back to the original Line One toy line. Like, forget the cartoon, mm-hmm. go back to the toy line, and go back more, most especially to those mini comics and I'll give you credit cause you know, I know you had mentioned it in conversation and that got me thinking about, well shit, let me go read some of those and see if there's any cool ideas in there. And there are, there are some really, really interesting ideas in there that have not been used in a long time that we could pilfer. Oh yeah. Well here, let me, let me throw at you uh, my, my main idea for how, how we keep that yet again, keeping in mind the constraints of the time uh, that it is a Canon pictures film and, and all that. So I'm trying to keep budgetary ideas in, in, in mind while while coming up with this. So number one, we need a MacGuffin, but fuck the cosmic key. The MacGuffin will be the power sword, which was not properly represented in the movie. Like we get that one moment of he man be like, I have the power. Like it's just it was really <laughs> bad. It was. I was I was thinking that too. Like when he 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 like turns to the camera and yells like I have the power, and it's like it's so obvious that they were like waiting for that moment. But like right. they could have made it more natural. He could have said that because right before it happens, you know, Skeletor is explaining to him about why he wants the power. Like you know, he, he he's doing this whole Jafar speech of like you know absolute power, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and how perfect would it have been for He Man to grab the sword and be like no. I have the power and it would have right. been like, Oh, that would have been a badass moment. But no, instead he just cheeses up right at the camera and like yells like Tarzan. <laughs> it's so bad. But so here's, here's what I'm thinking. Like, so we keep the the actual first opening of the film before the title card is fine. Like explaining gray skull, the mysteries of it, the powers within yada, 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 whoever holds the keys, to gray skull will be the master of the universe. That's fine. That all works. But, when we come back, when we come back from the title card, I think where the film proper should have opened is have Skeletor and He-Man fighting at the, like right off the bat, fighting at the gates of Grayskull, right at the jaw bridge, you know, have the, the, uh, Eternian forces fighting the evil henchmen. So this is where we would see man at arms and Tila hell throw in Ram man. He's just a dude in armor with an ax. You know, yep. throw some guys in that we know. Give a give us Fisto again, a guy with a big metal gauntlet and a sword. Cool, it works. But can we call him something else, please? <laughs> can we call him like <laughs> Fistar or something? Because but, it's but he's got to give you the fist. Ah, no, it's it's icky. It's icky. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was hilarious. Like it, oh, like God. as a kid. I never picked up on it. As soon as I hit like my teen years, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember that episode of Kind of Creep Ahead when you guys were talking about like old <laughs> characters, old superhero characters. I remember those those creations. I don't want to oh, think yeah. about it. I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. Just, just call, let's call him Puncho and move on. <laughs> <laughs> Punch Man. Um, but yeah, so we have them all fighting. So we have Beast Man here. I personally want to see at least Merman. I understand, you know, Trap Jaw and some of those guys might be a little on the budgetary heavy side. But, and again, I'm fine with the new guys. I'm fine with Blade and Sarad and Karg. You know, give us some new toy figures. That's cool. But Evil Forces versus the, the uh, you know, the Eternian armies with, with Skeletor and He-Man battling it out right at the gates of, of, of Grayskull. So from here, I feel like at, at some point Skeletor is going to get the upper hand and wrest the Sword of Power from He-Man which will he'll lose some of his power when he gets the sword taken away from him. So we, we, we can actually see him like, you know, do some weird energy effect or something where he falls to his knees, loses some of the power and Skeletor uses the sword to open the gates of Grayskull. So he mm-hmm. gets inside. So now we have the, the Eternian forces like chasing after Skeletor as he's like moving deeper into Grayskull, trying to unlock the powers with them. So, the, the idea here is this is where we're going to have Orko, because I'm thinking, again, budgetary constraints. Orko's going to need to be a puppet. <laughs> He's going to need to be sure, that yeah. 80s-style Henson Muppet. So Sorceress and Orko will be here. They will stop Skeletor from going any further. You know, use some magic barrier, whatever. We're going to have He-Man come in with his axe and shield that we all know and love and have him start fighting with Skeletor. Now, this is going to be where the, the film proper is going to take off the sorceress and orko are going to use their powers combined to try to destroy the sword of power they're going to split it in half which was a huge thing in the mini comic and the toy gimmicks Mm -hmm. when they do that orko is going to try to put up a barrier around the attorney and forces but being orko he's going to screw up the spell and what he's going to end up doing is not only teleporting the attorney and forces across Eternia but he's going to teleport the evil henchman across Eternia. And when the sword, you know, the sword of power gets split, there's going to be a huge white light, a big explosion and gray skull is going to be gone. So it's going to leave. Think, think the, 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 uh, the castle in crawl, how it teleports. So yeah, yeah. Ha- have gray skull disappear and reappear somewhere else on Eternia, but neither the, the heroic warriors or the evil henchmen, neither of them know where it is. So now this is where Gwildor is going to come into play. Skeletor's plan after we're going to, at some point we're going to need him to have to find at least half of the power sword. Gwildor fuck being a a locksmith. He's a blacksmith. He's a fucking dwarf. Dwarves are blacksmiths. So Skeletor is going to need someone that can magically, you know, forge the two halves of the power sword together again, which can then be used as a beacon to track down Grayskull and finish his original plan. So my idea here is to have, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep it all on Eternia and Eternia will look suspiciously like, you know, like Red Rock, Arizona or something. Just have, (laughs) yeah. Film it in the desert, film it in forest, film it in jungles, whatever. Um, Canon was known for those outside types of pictures anyways. So we'll have uh, a map painting of Snake Mountain and a big desert and Skeletor and the henchmen will be outside of Snake Mountain, have He-Man teleported to like the jungles of Eternia, have Man-at-Arms and uh, Tila teleported to the mountains, which where this is where we'll beat Stratos. Um, but yeah, we can have characters. They're actually going to go on a fucking adventure, which they should have done in this movie, you know, 
have them trying to meet back up and all of them in a race to find the two halves of the power sword, put them back together to protect Grayskull or in Skeletor's case to break into Grayskull and get the powers with them. Yeah. Okay. This is good. I think this is really awesome. Okay. So, uh, I think there's, I mentioned before I was bitching about how none of the characters had a story arc. So we definitely need to have at least one. And he man being the main character of the movie needs to have a story arc in some fashion. Right. So, I love I love this setup, right? So exactly, we start in Medius race, just total action, you know, sword fights and battles. And think, speaking of budget, we only really need a couple of set pieces. Now, the money that they spend on the movie that they made, which is about twenty-two million, they mm-hmm. filmed a lot of it on Earth, so they had like pre-existing buildings and stuff, like it was a real town. And but they also, I read that they built what at the time was one of the biggest soundstage sets in in Hollywood, like since like the 40s or something, because they took multiple sound uh, sets in the same building and like knocked the walls down to make the the Castle Grey Skull uh, throne room, right? Just okay. this giant room. So they had money for sets, and I think the problem was they were spending their money on stuff like that. And then when it came to like, okay, we need like special effects, you know, they were like, like running low on cash. But I think you mm-hmm. could do this. You could have, you could use the the money for the same impact because you really only need, you know, three ish settings. You need Grayskull, but again, use a matte painting like we, we saw in the beginning of the movie, and then you go yep. inside, and you could build that on any sound set anywhere you want. Right. Mm-hmm. Or soundstage. I keep saying sound set, soundstage. And then you need Snake Mountain. Again, matte painting, like you said, we go inside and it's some kind of like creepy dungeon looking place. And then you need um, some kind of like a jungle, which maybe would be hard to find if they were filming it like in the U.S. Everything else is just mountaintops, deserts, like pretty simple. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. So it's like in the mini comics. Castle Grayskull was alive or it had like a spirit, you yep. know, and, and its face is a giant skull. You mentioned the jaw bridge, which is like the, the draw bridge that goes into its mouth. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the entrance into the castle. So I think it'd be interesting if Grayskull itself was sort of like a uh, a celestial, right? Thinking of the Guardians of the Galaxy for anyone who's into the MCU or obviously in the Marvel comics. And the the, the nowhere with a K, right, is the head mm-hmm. of a dead celestial. And there's a whole fantasy story history of like bases and buildings and places being made like out of like the corpse of some ancient being or giant, you know, right down to like Moana, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so I, I say the Castle Grayskull or Grayskull was some kind of ancient giant, you know, some uh, primordial race that lived on Eternia. Uh, and they were like the titans to like the Greek gods. Right. And okay. in, in Eternia, they have all these obviously different like races of people, different types of monsters like Stratos's race and Skeletor's race. Yeah. So totally. I'm just sort of throwing it out there for for like set, you know, set dressing. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so we start off with the action. Everyone gets teleported away. The, the Marvel comic connection again. It's like the X Men pulling into like the Siege Perilous, and they're like thrown all over the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so yeah, so then the mission becomes find the two halves of the Sword of Power and get back to Grayskull. Um, where is Grayskull now? Is that important? Is does it have to be like a secondary adventure? Do they have to find it? Do they know where it is? But now it's like shit. It's like really far out of reach, and we need the, the power sword to get there. I'm not I, sure. I think I, I think it should be shrouded in mystery, almost like 
like with again with the the maybe it's doing maybe it's doing what the castle and curl did and it's constantly moving Mm -hmm. and they need the two halves of the power sword combined to be like a compass to lead them there okay yeah that'd be interesting oh it'd be fun too if like let's say at least one of Skeletor's crew, maybe Skeletor himself, was teleported like right back to Snake Mountain. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually have a reason that that could happen, which I'll mention in a minute because I want to talk about He-Man's story arc, the idea that I just that just popped into my head. Um, what if like from Snake Mountain's like high vantage, you know, he goes to some telescope looking thing some periscope and he's like oh i gotta find everybody and he sees gray skull and it's like oh shit now it's in like you know the the craggy mountains over there or whatever and then mm-hmm. it like just dis- and then it like disappears right okay and then we, we do the same thing where we see another character like man at arms and tila wake up on like stratos's you know mountain and stratos is like nursing them back to health or whatever the hell and mm-hmm. he mentions like you know disappeared he points and like there's castle gray skull it's a different it's in a different location and they're like okay we got to get there and then it disappears and so we're going to kind of give give clues to both the characters and the audience that it's moving around you know and they're all yeah. seeing it but they can't they literally can't pinpoint it you know they're like they can't get a beat on it so they eventually figure out that Okay, let's find the key first, which is the sort of power, and then like we'll figure out like how to get to it, right? Of course, the simple answer is it'll stop moving when they when they put the sword back together. Um, right. So what I'm thinking is that He Man, he gets teleported. You mentioned to the jungle, and I think that that's perfect because it ties right back into the original mini comics yep. where. He wasn't Prince Adam, you know, he wasn't from some big giant royal city. He was literally a barbarian like Conan. Yep. And at the the very first story in the very first mini comic, he's sent out on a mission from his like barbarian family like that he'd been living with, like he wasn't part of Eternian society and he's sent out into the world to become like a great warrior or whatever the fuck. And he interacts or he encounters the sorceress who gives him his breastplate and like shield and a sword. And those clothes that he wears, like the gear that he wears are what give him his like super strength and power. So he was a big hulking, like brute of a guy, but he wasn't a superhero until he got this like magical armor. Right. So what I'm thinking is he gets teleported back to this place where this barbarian race lives and he's not wearing the armor that he had like before, you know, teleported mm-hmm. like just in his like little breech cloth. And I think it'd be interesting if we found out here that the reason he had been sent back there is that like all the characters were sent back to like some place that had been important to them in the past. You know, it was like it was like Casa Grayskull knew their hearts and we'll send them back to some place where they can like, you know, start their journey anew. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> you know, so like <laughs> Obviously, Man at Arms has to have some connection with Stratos. Like maybe years ago, they were like, you know, bros in like the the army, and like you know, Stratos saved his life or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they have some connection. So we get He Man sent back to this jungle, and he's totally confused because in this version, he doesn't know that he's a barbarian from this jungle race. Like you know, maybe okay. you know. He, Maybe he was stolen away or lost or something as like a baby and he was raised by the Eternians like or by the sorceress and you know, raised to be the hero of power. So he's like Thor, you know, going back to that reference, he grows up to be like, you know, the 
the prince of power, you know, <laughs> and he's right. he can do he can do anything he wants, and everybody, uh, you know, looks up to him, and he's like super powerful, and he just kicks ass in battle all the time, and then he loses in battle, gets sent out into like the wilderness, his superpowers are gone because he doesn't have his like magical armor, and now you know he learns from these people that this is where he's from. This is his real family. So now we can kind of create this story arc where he's questioning who he is. He's weak. He's, he's lost, you know, and he's going to have to like come to a place where he has to decide, do I, do I go back to eternity or Eternia to the Royal family that raised me knowing that they're not really my family. And like, this isn't my battle at all anyway. And like, what the fuck do I have to do with it? You know, right. like they, they stole me or found me or whatever, or do I stay here with my real family? You know? And so I think there's a, there's an arc there because we can, we can send him to a place where he's at his weakest and most confused and most vulnerable, and then let him make a choice to like become a hero again. And it's a choice this time rather than like a birthright. Okay. Now see, I, I hadn't even thought of that, but that's, that's an interesting addition to all this, because where my where my mind went uh, with the the having him teleported in the jungle, honestly, I was just like bring in more characters from the from the shows and stuff that we know and love. But I was like, have Cringer help him, you know, have like a, a fucking talking green tiger. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, that I was think where my mind originally went. <laughs> I think you can do that too. I mean, why not? You know, Battle Cat can be from that place too. I just think it it we, he's got to have a story arc. He can't just be yes. the warrior who has a slight setback because he gets lost and then just has to go right back to the battle again. Like we got to right. make him a human. No, I, I like this because because what we could do is we could have we could introduce this this concept of well we could also introduce this concept here if he doesn't. You know, like, yes, he is powered up by the uh, the power sword and the armor and all that, but he doesn't need that to be a hero. So we, we can, you know, play with that idea, too, that he's still, you know, worthy of being a hero without all the, the magic. Yeah, um, exactly. That's really good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So we can we can play along with that. But yeah, so we have them nursing back to health and all that. Maybe on his trek out, like going back, like I have to help my friends. So now he's off to look for for Tila and man at arms and he doesn't have any of his gear. So he's got like you know, the spear that we see him with in the, in the original mini comic, um, like, you know, the wooden spear with the stone head on it. So he'll be walking through the jungle with that. And then maybe here we can do something where either, uh, you know, he helps Cringer, like actually have Cringer be Cringer, like kind of a frightened, but you know, a, a loyal companion type thing. Um, now I don't know how we would do this with the time, with the budgetary constraints. If we would go full beast master, and just dye a big cat's fur green, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they were just like, hey, take this tiger and dye its fur black, <laughs> you know, and it's they just used hair dye on a tiger. Um, yeah, well, I think I think you could do something like that. You could just get some kind of a like a small wild cat or like a big domesticated cat. You know what I mean? But, right. You know, just yeah, just dye it green or put some kind of like, you know, lens effect on, you know, on the screen right. or whatever, you know, and then, uh, yeah, just have him be cringer. Here it is. He-Man gets transported into the jungle. He doesn't know where he is. He's totally confused. And he hears, like, this mewing and crying. And here's Cringer, who's, like, uh, he, he's either trapped in a vine or maybe he's being menaced by, like, some, you know, other animal, whatever. And, like, He-Man rescues him. And immediately Cringer obviously is like, oh, you saved me. And he's like, a fucking talking cat? What the hell? Right. <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> whatever. You know, and then maybe have him just be like, oh, you know, we have to, let me, let's let's go back to your people. And he's like, my people? What do you mean, my people? And, and then you start this, like, you know, this uh, dialogue. Cringer's like, yeah, aren't you from, you know, 
I don't know the, what we call the race. You know, aren't you from the Conans? You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking. About. And then, you know, and then Cringer takes him back to the village, and then he's like, oh wow, look at all this. And then they're, you know, they do that whole thing where it's like, uh, my son return has returned to me, and it's like Madagascar too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. And then that's exactly what it is. We just do the we just do the plot of Madagascar too. You know. Um, <laughs> But then, yeah, and again, he had this, this is good too. Like maybe he goes back there and they teach him who he really is, and he has this like crisis of conscience and crisis of identity. Like, does he really need to go back? And can he just stay there? And he's found his true family. Blah 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 blah. And maybe they decide, or maybe there's some kind of like, uh, you know, ritual of like manhood again, just like just like in Madagascar too, where he has to go through it, or some kind of like magical tree, like in The Empire Strikes Back, where it's like go into the tree and it'll show you your destiny. You know? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something oh, to go ahead no keep, keep going I, I got a, i got a good idea that fits perfectly here yeah right. no go for, go for it because my, my next idea is about where skeletor is but yeah go ahead okay so we we do this we do this uh what whatever it is it's going to be like a like a vision quest type thing we have the green goddess appear to him the green goddess from the mini comic who you oh, know, yeah, was originally yeah. the sorceress but then became the green goddess in the rest of the mythos so have this this like emerald green humanoid character with a snake headdress appear to him and basically tell him, you know, that, you know, that he basically, uh, you know, give him his, his idea or his identity that he is the hero that Eternia needs, you know, it, with, without his help, Skeletor will, will, you know, rend the land asunder type of thing, you know, that he, he is the only person that can stop Skeletor. Um, so okay, it's like, yeah. you know, have him be like, you know, I, I know what I have to do or like maybe it's something like you have to help your friends stop Skeletor or something like that. Um, so he's like, yeah, I, you know, I got to help, you know, while these are my people, they are also my people like they they took me in. They raised me that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where he starts starts his quest and, and decides to leave the jungle. So we get him some primitive weapons, you know, like the, the spear, like a like a stone axe, stuff like that. You know, maybe like give him some, uh, you know, some some fur like clothes so he's got like the fur cape and all like a big barbarian looking dude and yeah. heads out with cringer which will later you know we'll have to do a jim henson battle cat style thing where it's like you know when he gets powered up and cringer gets powered up you know into battle cat we'll have like you know yeah, a big exactly. it, it'll be like a fucking do back in star wars it won't do a lot of movement but it'll look cool um but yeah so he heads off in his journey so what, what did you have in mind for skeletor Okay, so I I don't know what Skeletor's actual origin is or any of the versions of it. I don't I don't know, and I think that's okay because p- people making movies in the '80s didn't give a shit about the, no. <laughs> the toy line origins anyway. So, right, I have an idea for I was I was sitting here asking myself, shit, I really like this idea of putting He-Man, you know, in this uh, you know jungle thing, this this crisis of identity. But I was like, fuck, like how does he get to Eternia. When I'm saying Eternia, I don't mean like the planet. I'm thinking more of like the the city, like the big palace, mm-hmm. the royal family, whatever whatever you want to call them. Um, right. I'm thinking of the Eternians uh, as like a as the humanoid race of people. I'm thinking like, how does he get there as a baby? Like, was he stolen? Was he lost? You know, did he wander off? Like, how did that happen? So I'm trying, and I'm also thinking to myself, you know, where is Skeletor? And I have this idea for also where what happened to he-man's armor like he's not wearing it when he goes to the jungle so where is it and why right so this idea formulated in my head 
And it just almost immediately, like very, very quickly, literally in the last couple of minutes, it gelled into this idea where we need to have a surprise villain. Like there needs to be an interesting twist in this movie because we have a story arc for He-Man now. Why not have an interesting twist so that not everything is so straightforward? You know, like they're, they're battling for Grayskull and then they have a setback. They all get scattered and they're just battling for Grayskull all over again. Like, mm-hmm. let's make it let's make it a little bit more interesting than that. So bear with me. I'm going to villainize a character. And if you're not into it, like, let me know. We'll stop okay. and we'll go in a different direction. But I think it's interesting. So we do the whole thing with He-Man. He's in the jungle. He, like, basically turns into, like, barbarian warrior He-Man, and he goes on his adventure with Cringer. Like, I'm going to find Grayskull and save my friends. Cool. Leave him alone for for right now. We'll come back to him. Where is Skeletor? Well, if He-Man went back to this important place in his life that was tied to his origin story, well, Skeletor should, too. And I'm also wondering, like, so Skeletor is this weird, like, skeleton-looking monster creature. And there's lots of, like, different races that live on this planet, like Beastman and Merman, et cetera. So there's no reason why he couldn't just be a different race. In the mini-comics, he is. Mm-hmm. But what But what if he was an Eternian, like a humanoid character, and he, became, he became Skeletor, but in kind of a fucked up way. Like, he's not evil because he's like a mustache twirling villain, which, of course, he was originally. And that's, you know, the, the, the black and white good versus evil thing is exactly what 80s, you know, toy properties are based on. You got good guys right. and bad guys. But, like, this is a movie. We can do something more interesting than that. So we show him wake up. From after he's being teleported and he's in like some kind of a like a witch's lab or like in like in a cave surrounded by like uh talismans and and cauldrons of boiling shit and you know jars of glowing you know chemicals or whatever you know like right it's this sort of weird combination of like a witch's hut and like a sci-fi lab and and he he wait he he sits up and he's like looking around and there's all these weird, like, failed experiments in, like, jars and even, like, corpses, like, in the corner. And it's reminding me of, like, uh, The Rise of Skywalker when you see all of the, like, fucked up uh, Snow- uh, Snokes. Yeah, it's the Snow- yeah, you know, the Snokes in jars, you know, kind of like that. <laughs> and he's, like, looking around and he's seeing that they that a lot of these characters, these these creatures, they look like him. And they look like weird, twisted humans that are like half corpse or half monster. And one of them has like the big terror claw hands, you know, um, to kind of like, you know, draw some connections to the toys. And what he's learning is like, he's like, wait a second, like, this is all like really familiar, you know. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing like a flashback or uh, he's having like a recollection of his own origin story that he came out of this place. You know, somebody turned him into Skeletor. He wasn't always this skull face monster. Somebody was experimenting on him or doing something to him and he's trying to figure it out. Um, So where I'm going with this is I want it to be that the sorceress is not what she seems. Right. So we okay. think of this, we think of the sorceress as like what she's like the guardian of Grayskull, Right. Right. And she's this like, you know, uh, powerful, magical being, you know, she's the protector of the land, you know, who even in, even in the original, you mentioned the green goddess, right. Gave mm-hmm. He-Man like his powers. But what if like, I guess not so straightforward than that. I'm not saying she's a total like evil, you know, bitch, but what if what she was doing was trying to create the champion that Eternia, that Grayskull specifically needed, right? Um, 
because she knew the gray skull is this dead ancient being and somebody needs to protect the castle until it's like the time is right for whatever the hell that means, you know, some future destined event. And so she, it was her job. She was uh, ordained by Grayskull itself to find a champion to protect me. And she eventually finds He-Man literally like she finds He-Man like she mm-hmm. as, as like a baby. You know, uh, like she senses his power and she like takes him and has has him raised up with like the attorney and royal family to become, you know, the Thor of this world, unbeknownst to him and anybody else. You know, uh, even the royal family didn't know where he came from. She had some bullshit story about oh he's a foundling and his parents died and blah, blah, blah. But really what it was is that she sensed he had this like power, this destiny. So she took him. But only after she had tried to like manufacture some kind of a champion on her own, like literally, you know, drawn to babies that are, had great power or great destiny or what in the Wheel of Time would be referred to as a Tavirin that are these like, you know, critical, important people in history. And she's basically taking them and trying to give them powers, but failing every single time. And she doesn't succeed with He-Man until she decides not to give him powers and just let him grow up, you know, <laughs> and just let him be who he is. And okay. instead of trying, instead of trying to transform him into this, into some kind of a mystical being, you know, instead she like goes on a mission to like find weapons, armor, gear, whatever, like to give him something powerful rather than to turn him into something powerful. So my my long railing story here is to say that like He Man is the character who was stolen from his family grew up to be a hero and was given like magical artifacts that made him a superhero. And he got to have this great life with an, you know, that started with an unknown tragedy. And then you have Skeletor who was the failed clone, the failed copy, the failed attempt to make He-Man, you know, who was just cast aside. And maybe he was the only one who survived these like horrible, you know, magical spells and experiments that the sorceress was trying to do and so when he like learns his own history or maybe he knew it all along and we've just learned it now we understand why skeletor hates the sorceress and grayskull and he-man so much i i like it but at the same time i feel like it's too much of a departure like i i feel like with because because again we're, we're we're playing we're playing a little too much into that uh the problem we ran into with the original movie where the, the fans that are going to see it, it's, it's kind of departing a little bit too much. So I want, I want to, I want to slightly tweak it. Okay. So, yeah, go for it. So I like the idea of having the sorceress literally uh, steal He-Man away. Like, I like that idea of her being like, you know, yes, there has to, you know, there's going to be this tragedy, but he will grow to be the champion that Skull needs. Um, so I like that idea because, you know, yeah, you're adding a little bit of, of, uh, of, um, what's the word I'm looking for depth to the character of sorceress. She's not just this all good, all encompassing character. Um, so I like that part. The thing I want to change with Skeletor. Now I love where you were going with this. Cause I, I know you said you're, you're not too familiar with, uh, like the other iterations of, of He-Man, um, but in I want to say it was the 2000X and possibly comic books, but uh, they changed Skeletor into the character of Keldor, um, okay, yeah. who is related. He's related to Randor. He's like Randor's brother, um, who is He-Man's father. So technically Skeletor is He-Man's uncle. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like he uses this this magical spell. He tries to kill. I think it was 
Randor that he goes after. Um, but it ends up getting thrown back in his face and it melts off his face. And then Hordak uses his magic to like keep him alive. And there's all there's various versions of this story um, where basically Skeletor looks the way he does because his face was magicked off. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, that works. So but here here I like I like where you were going with this with this lab idea. Hordak is known for uh, kind of twisting beings to begin with. So and at the time, Hordak was supposed to be the next great villain. And mm-hmm. he turned out to be the villain for the She-Ra cartoon, which is going to give us an opening for a sequel to the movie. So keep that in oh, mind. OK, I like where um, going with that. So he gets thrown into this terrifying lab. The third unsung playset uh, b- before the final playset of of the Masters of the Universe property, which was Eternia, that very few people had. But the third uns- unsung playset was the Fright Zone, Hordax Fright Zone. Oh, I forgot about that. So what if where Skeletor ends up, this this freaking like creepy lab with all of these, uh, you know, clones and like failed experiments, like you said, the Terror Claw one. I love that. Um, have all that. What if it's where he was made by Hordak? He was mm-hmm. or maybe he was part of the royal family and he was stolen away to become the the evil champion to get the, the mysteries of Grayskull for Hordak. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. So Hordak's like the evil sorceress kind of idea. Like he's the opposite. He's the 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 Yang Duryan type of thing, you know. Um, so we could have him almost be in shadow. Like maybe only show him like this shadowy figure with red eyes, kind of see his silhouette, and and have him you know make some comment about you failed me for the last time type of thing. And maybe maybe he harms Skeletor. Maybe he does something to Skeletor where it's like he twists him again and gives him a different power. So to send him back out there. Um, so maybe we could do something like have, this is where Skeletor gets a little ball. Like we drop the golden God thing and have Skeletor be like, you know, a little more monstrous from this point forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We could even do the terror clause thing like with him, you know, like maybe, yeah. maybe he gets, you know, maybe he, he wakes up and he's like uh shackled in like Hordex, you know, a fright zone. And he's like, ha ha, you're back, you know, whatever. And, but no, I, I, okay. So let me back up. I love this idea. This is way better. Um, like I, I thought, I thought I had a seed and, and, and I, I think I like where you went with it instead. So what if it was that Hordak uh, and I keep mentioning like Disney movies because this is kind of like tangled, right? But what if right. Hordak, <laughs> Hordak kidnaps, uh, you mentioned King Randor, right? King of Eternia kidnaps the baby, like right after their baby is born, their baby son, right? Who, mm-hmm. who was Adam or He-Man or whatever, right? Kidnaps that baby and Hordak, he takes it because he knows that this baby is going to have this like, uh, uh, this power because of the bloodline of the family that was blessed by Grayskull or whatever the hell makes him special, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, ah, oh, this will be, you know, he knows that the, that the Randor bloodline, he thinks that's going to be his key to like having to the champion who's going to be able to like finally enter Grayskull and like, you know, take on the power uh, that this ancient being possesses, you know, the absolute power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but he thinks so he's going to take the baby and basically like use it for his own means but he's not going to raise the baby he's not you know going to nurture it you know he's the fuck that he's going to make it into a monster because he's a twisted fuck and he that's what he thinks is interesting and you know, right. he's going to try and try and make the baby even more powerful and monstrous and also you know some kind of a of a slavish you know beast that's just going to do whatever Hordak says you know it's, it'll be his tool rather than like his son and yep. so this and then the sorceress you know the sorceress is like Hordak's like you know uh, counterpart and you know maybe she tries to get the baby back but she fails because Hordak really is like a powerful wizard or scientist or whatever yep. so what if you know what if her horrible choice is you know what does she do like does she have all of Eternia go to war against Hordak when like the time is not right you know right or right. Does she try to keep the peace? And so, you know, while maybe, uh, you know, she finds this other baby that has this like beacon of power, you know, whatever you see that in fantasy stories all the time, you know, some destiny. And so she goes and she finds that there's this family that just had this barbarian family in the jungle and they just had a baby. And so she takes their baby and she brings it to King Randor and they and tells them that this is your son. And they raise this barbarian kid as their own. And it wasn't ever you know um oh okay oh wow okay i like this right and so he-man grows up to be you know he's thor except he's actually loki because he's not really you know the god that you know again in the in the thor and loki you know connection it's like he's not really an asgardian just like loki is and loki's pretending to be because he was raised by like his enemy's you know father so you know we have king randor unknowingly raising you know this other child thinking it's his own son to be the champion all the while sorceress has this like really deep secret and she can never tell anybody you know and skeletor who was the actual prince has been turned into this monster and so he finds out that's where he goes when he's teleported as you know hordak reveals the the, the evil secret to him you know he's like haha you've been trying to get into gray school all this time you know for your selfish needs but you have no idea you know right and, uh, oh god it's terrible oh dude i love it yeah so but then of course like when hordak like hordak's gonna reveal that so we'll we'll get We'll get that backstory with Hordak revealing. And, and I have this this design in my head that oh, I, I think it would be so good and it would work for the film. Because, again, Hordak is kind of a crazy design yeah. uh, in, the, in the toy, in the cartoon. But imagine, like, that that white, like, goblin-like face that he has with the big bat ears and, like, that weird cowl. Now, have him still kind of weirdly armored, you know, like, wearing a little bit of it. But imagine, like, this bloody, like like apron on him with all these like tools sticking out of it, like a, like some kind of flesh Smith, you know, mm-hmm. and just in this creepy ass lab with all these chains and electrodes and glass jars and parts. And stuff. like, I love the, and, and calling it the freight zone. It just all works yeah. in my head. I love it. Um, yeah. It's so perfect. So have so. him, you know, telling Skeletor, like while Skeletor is strapped down to the table. Right. And maybe he has right now, he just has the gauntlets on his hands. Like his hands are all, all strapped out. And Hordak is revealing all of this to him. And Skeletor is just, you know, shocked with what's what's being told to him and have him say something like, of course, you won't remember any of this and then have him start working on him. And when Skeletor comes back, you know, he just all he knows is his all consuming need to get the power sword, put it back together and break into Grayskull to get the power. But we could have the, the gauntlets. I like the idea of having the gauntlets then turn into the terror claws when he fights. You know, like yeah, have them yeah. like 
the big claws on his hands. I just because again, that's my favorite version of Skeletor. Was, so. Oh, and I love this too. Yeah, I love this. Like Hordak reveals to Keldor, we know now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the audience what the story is. Yeah, and then he like puts him under, does the experiment, like you just said, or, or the surgery or whatever, like turns his hands into the terror claws, and then you know, yeah, Skeletor wakes up, and maybe maybe the Hordak sort of feigns like defeat. Like Skeletor wakes up and he's like, "Get away from me, you know, you evil wizard," and blah blah blah, and he leaves. But again. Only knowing what his previous mission was, which is find the power sword, get to Grayskull. But what if, like, he has to have some way of, like, sensing where it is. You know, we know that that sorceress was able to, like, sense the power of, like, these infants, you know. But maybe because of their magical, like, nature, you know, or even just because maybe they have a technology, like some some kind of a sensor. Like, maybe Mana Arms has one, too, you know. And so he's like, ah, the power sword shard is that way, you know, and he runs off. And so... uh, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit because we have, we have to have all the characters converge on where Grayskull is now. Right. Right. So we have He-Man come out of the jungle as like the barbarian. He's decided to fight for both of his families, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then man at arms, maybe man at arms comes out of the mountain and, you know, he and meets up with He-Man. They're like, we got to find the power sword. And man at arms is like, Oh, he's like, well, it's funny you mentioned that. And he's like, pulls out half of it because like off camera, he had like found it up on the mountain somewhere. Like, Awesome, right? Okay, cool. Now we just need to find we the other half, have, you know? We have Stratos show, like, m- m- this is where we introduce Stratos. We have Stratos. Okay. Uh, well, so in the mountains, we could have, uh, you know, Man-at-Arms and Teela, wh- however we have the, the grouping, but have them come upon the avians, the, you know, the people mm-hmm. of Stratos, and have them, like, you know, they, they found the half of the power sword when it was exploded and thrown across the across Eternia, and, you know, they, they present it to him knowing what it is. So, so Man-at-Arms has half of it. What if, this is where we meet Gwildor. Maybe we, we find out the character Gwildor, you know, this weird little dwarf living in a hobbit hole. Um, what if he finds the other half of, of the power sword? Like, maybe it's like sticking out of a swamp or something. He gets to use that cool little grappling gun that he had in the movie, you know, and yank it out. So now Man-at-Arms is tracking the other half of the power sword. He meets up with He-Man, all that. They converge on Gwildor. We find mm-hmm. out that he's a blacksmith, that he, you know, he can forge the the two halves back together. While he's about to do that, of course, this is where Skeletor and his minions are going to break in. We're going to have, like, a little battle while Gwildor is quickly trying to, like, forge the sword back together. Maybe the, the you know, the uh, heroic warriors defeat Skeletor and his, his minions and run. Like, they, they take off, kind of like they did in the, in the original movie. And now they're on the, the, now the chase is on to get to Grayskull. Yeah, so they're all converging on Grayskull. You mentioned the Gwildor thing, but Skeletor's not there. It's Skeletor's other minions. It's like Beastman, it's the Merman, it's who are the other characters that were like thrown to the winds. Like they've all okay, yeah. Like I remember at one point, one of them was back at Snake Mountain and like you know saw Grayskull through like the periscope thing. So whether that was Beastman or someone else, they're all converging trying to get the power sword. At this point, Skeletor ran off from Hordak's lab. We don't know where he went yet. He's not here. So we're expecting mm-hmm. all the all the characters are converging except wait, where's Skeletor? You know. And so what I'm thinking is is interesting is okay. So Skeletor sensed like an article or an artifact of power and like went after it. And so while they're like battling over the power sword, right, uh, right at the very end, like the culmination of this fight over the battles, over the, over the power sword to like get, put the shards back together. We'd see Skeletor pop up out of nowhere, grab the sword with his like terror claws. And everyone looks at him and holy shit, because he's wearing He-Man's armor. 
the breastplate. You know, oh, the, nice. The shit that gave He-Man the superpowers, because that right. was the artifact that he had sensed. It wasn't the power sword, and he went after it only to discover He-Man's armor. So now, fuck, we've got, like, Super Shredder on our hands. Right, right. Because right. yes. <laughs> we got Skeletor with He-Man's armor, super strength, the power sword, and the goddamn Terror Claws, and he's about to open up Castle Grayskull. What do nice. we do? Okay, yeah, I like it. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think we should have him get into, have him actually get into Grayskull and have, you know, like I said, the the, uh, the heroic warriors, you know, give chase. Um, but maybe, I'm trying to think of how we could do it here where, where we could get this, the power sword away from him and back to He-Man. Um, I don't know if it could be something like, you know, if we want to go as stupid as like, oh, only someone of pure of heart can wield the sword, of, you know, something like that. If we want to go with the 80s tropes. Or if we want to have like the the heroic warriors somehow trick him, maybe have maybe have Orko have a moment of of heroism here and you know kind of do a fake, <laughs> make it look like it's it's the power sword, but it's actually a fake sword, and have Skeletor confused why it's not working and unlocking Grayskull, you know, like something like that. Yeah, I don't think I like that. I like that idea. Um, I would prefer that over like, you know, Skeletor being unworthy because quite frankly, right. he's been screwed over so many times and he is the Prince of Eternia. You know, like there's an argument to be, to be made that he is worthy, you know, despite right. his life of evil, it wasn't, you know, wholly his fault. Um, so I think we need to answer the question amongst ourselves as like script writers first, where are we going with this? Like, do we want them to unlock Castle Grayskull and receive like the powers and secrets of the universe? Or do we want them to just lock it back up and like leave it for some future day of destiny? Or do they fail completely? And like, you know, the Grayskull, the being that is Grayskull just leaves Eternia, like disappears and doesn't come back for maybe some future destiny or some sequel, something like I almost kind of like that last one of like they're fighting over something that like nobody gets. See, I, I what do you I, think? I do want them to to unlock some of the mysteries because that kind of ties into what I had in mind for a sequel. Um, but so like here's here's where I'm where I'm thinking we we are going to have you know the the battle we have to have the iconic moment of He Man getting the sword like you know, in Grayskull, holding it aloft and screaming, I have the power, and then having him power up. We have the moment where, like, Cringer powers up with him type of thing. Um, and then, you know, the fight is on. Have him beat the shit out of Skeletor, defeat Skeletor, throw him in a pit, because every 80s villain has to go down a pit, including <laughs> in the original. And maybe, you know, He-Man, now knowing his true origins, you know, agrees to continue to protect uh, Grayskull, but maybe he doesn't want the power sword. Maybe he wants it to be locked within Grayskull's walls because it is the key to Grayskull to get in. And if the if the key is in the house, how can they get in? You know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, he tell you know, he tells the sorceress that he will continue to, you know, to fight against the forces of evil. But he doesn't want this power. So, he you know, he puts it like maybe there's like a, a you know, like a sword and a stone type thing. Like he locks it in and turns it. But some of the the mysteries of Grayskull is revealed to them and we see the sister dimension of Etheria. Okay, nice. So we we get the glimpse of there are others. There are other masters of the universe. And we kind of end with that of we see that and maybe we see like Hordak, like a stinger at the end watching on some kind of like, you know, crystal orb or something and seeing what they all saw. 
and then realizing there's another way to get the power that he wants. And then this is where Ooh. we transition to the She-Ra movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I love this. I love this. Back it up just a little bit, right? So we have the big battle, Skeletor, not knowing his origin story, just knowing he wants the power, battling He-Man in like the, you know, the throne room or whatever, like we said, right? The big battle, Cringer's there, they're all fighting, you know, I have the power. At some point, they're going to be locked in battle, like Power Sword versus like Terror Claw, but they're in Grayskull and with just all the energy blazing and, you know, everything happening, like, you know, He-Man and Skeletor like are like locked eye to eye and like struggle. And maybe at that point, you know, there's like there's like uh, energy beams and lightning and shit flying out of the Power Sword, maybe because it's so close to the pedestal, it like just wants to go there, you know? Right. And uh, and but that's the moment when we see like. It's like there's like the, they're seeing visions, right? He, uh, he man. Oh, is see, I gotcha. He man is seeing his origin story that he learned, but he's seeing it now and he's seeing and this is where he's seeing the sorceress. Like that's the part he didn't know right now. He's seeing holy shit. It was the sorceress who took me from my family. You know, it, it was just a, it was a, it was a mystery to them. And then Skeletor yeah. is seeing his, he's like, fuck, like Hornak fuck with me, not once, but twice, you know, and like. Right. And so it's like suddenly they're seeing what the audience has learned. They're learning that secret. And, you know, and he man, like he has a moment of doubt, like he's going to stop fighting and Skeletor like just rages because you know, he's he's not having a moment of doubt. He's having a moment moment of, you know, just uh, just, you know, over the top rage. And he just goes right. after he man. He has him on the edge. And then he man just he just has to. He can't help himself. He doesn't want to, like, sacrifice like the true prince of Eternia. But like he's got to rescue himself and the power sword and just knocks him over that ledge into the pit, like you said. Right. And then and this is when he like confronts the sorceress, tells her like. I don't want this power. Nobody should have this power. You know, I'm putting it back in the pedestal, you know, and maybe sorceress had gives him some explanation about how she's had to make these horrible choices because this power was too great, you know, for the Eternians or anyone to have. And she had to do what she had to do. And, you know, she had to make sacrifices to protect everyone from this power that is just too much for anyone, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And right. so they, they locked the sword in the pedestal, like I said, inside, you know, the, the gray skull starts to like disappear. They all have to make that like last minute escape, you know, like running yep. out of the, the crumbling <laughs> temple in every, you know, of every Jones movie, right? They all run <laughs> out. And then basically they agree that like sorceress, she'll be the protector of gray skull to make sure that no one else like gets back in. But maybe, maybe someday he, man, you'll need that power sword and I'll be here. You know? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, he man's like, I'm going to protect, you know, the people that matter, the people of Eternia and the people of the jungle and the people of snake mountain and blah, blah, blah. The hero, of, the hero of everyone, you know, and, uh, you know, and <laughs> we have the, we have the big, oh, you know, the big hero moment. We have the whole, the, the power was inside you all along type exactly. thing, you know. Exactly. I mean, he doesn't need the power sword, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and then, yeah, and then, you know, and then, you know, they all, you know, they, it, so the sorceress stays there at like the the place where Castle Grayskull was and then all the other heroes are like heading back to, you know, the Eternian Palace or whatever. And then, yeah, you pan down like over the cliff and down into the depths of whatever pits were there, you know, down into these deep, dark caves, right? And you, or, or over the edge, whatever. You see Skeletor like rise up like he's still alive, but now he knows everything, you know? Now it's like – and have him – maybe have him look at all the heroes and they're leaving and he, and, he, and he looks up and he sees the Eternian Palace and he's like you know that's where my real power lies and, and you know oh shit he's gonna go after his like his uh birthright his throne right. in the next you know it, when he comes back you know and then yeah and then you pan out again and do exactly what you said and hordak is watching everything Mwahaha. yep and i and i, I definitely we we, we want to have that that etheria 
oh, you know, yeah. like vision and then have, you know, yeah, have Hardak see everything, but have him see that vision. And, and, and maybe he can even say, like, there's another way or like there there is another, you know, something like that. And we could see yeah. like the face of like a young blonde girl. Mm-hmm. And it's like those that are, you know, the, the, the people who went to see the movie will know that Shira, you know, yeah. and then we could, you know, credits roll, blah, blah, blah. And coming in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, during that moment when like the, all that energy is flashing and like uh, Keldor and He-Man are like seeing their origin stories, like that's when maybe the, all the other characters are seeing visions and like, yeah, at, you know, somebody gets to see Eternia or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Like everyone is kind of like seeing visions of the past and the, and the other dimensions and other possibilities. It's like, it's this whole montage thing. Yeah. But you right. know, Hardak was watching the whole time. So of course he saw it. Oh, I, I did. Yeah, no, I did not expect us to bring Hordak in. This. <laughs> Neither did I. And he became like such a big character, too. I was just I was just trying to find a way to make I wanted we needed to make He-Man like a real character with a story arc. And we needed to make Skeletor empathetic in some way to make it interesting right. to me, at least. You know, I'm, I, yeah, if it's not interesting to anyone else, like that's that one. That's what makes me care about the characters, because this, you know, good and evil, black and white, you know, two sides of the coin thing. It might work for like a toy line devoted at kids. But if you want to make a movie that will stand the test of time, the yeah. characters have to, you know, there has to be an emotional story arc. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and again, I don't think outside of, okay, there, there, there would definitely be some set piece uh, expenses like Hordak and his lab, I'm sure would be pricey. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the throne room they actually used for the film, we didn't, we wouldn't need something that grandiose. We could literally have like, it look like a big castle so we could have like rock walls and mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be this big grandiose throne room that they made it out to be in the film. So the, the battle of Grayskull can take place in like a dank looking, you know, stone walled room. It, it, it doesn't need to be anything crazy as long as there's a throne and a stone for the sword to go into, um, you know, but, but yeah, so the budgetary constraints hopefully would allow for the type of film that we're proposing here. But uh, I think that if this had have come out in place of the 1987 masters, mm-hmm. I feel like it would be like of labyrinth status of, of cult classic because of all these crazy characters and set pieces. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I think you could, you could repurpose, you know, the same set to be Grayskull and Snake Mountain. You know, I think you oh, could yeah. pull that off, right? Again, lots of matte paintings. But then you also wouldn't need all of the stupid special effects of, like, you know, floating, like, you know, uh, sky sleds and, like, green yeah. goblin gliders and laser guns and shit. Like, we don't need any of that because all the special right. effects are going to be, like, visions and, like, power coming off of the sword, right? So just use those dollars, you know, for to build a couple, a couple of more sets. But to your point, hell, you could even find, like, a real-life cavern in like a cave or a grotto mm-hmm. or someplace to be grayscale. Like it, you wouldn't even necessarily need to build it if, you know, if you had people scouting out decent locations. Oh, absolutely. And as far as like the, the, uh, the original movie goes, like one of my biggest complaints that I forgot to mention at the top is there's so little actual fighting. It's all laser gun play. Like there's very few sword fights. There's very few like grappling fights that's something that I'm glad we kind of had in this where it's like, there's actually fighting. 
<laughs> you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're not using guns. They're actually battling with like claws and swords and clubs, you know, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's really in keeping with like the idea that He-Man is like a sci-fi barbarian, you know? And so right. yeah, let him, let him fight with swords and stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. To your point, I saw on the trivia on IMDb, it said something about, uh, that they only had to choreograph two sword fights, He-Man yeah. versus Blade and then He-Man versus Skeletor at the end. And that was it. <laughs> it's like I, when, when you're here, literally carries around like a two-handed greatsword the entire movie and he only uses it twice (laughs) (laughs) so frustrating but yeah i mean like i I feel like uh what we proposed here like there would be a lot more like fisticuffs you know and uh and that's i i think that would be really fun um but yeah i mean this actually came in a little shorter than i was expecting i was really expecting this one to to be a long sprawl And, and it's you know, it's a little longer than our, our most pre or our, our recent episodes, but I don't yeah. know. I I, I, I think we uh, we kind of did what we set out to do. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I, mean, I was afraid this was going to be a long one, too, because we, we had kind of gotten back to our tradition of the some rabbit trails and the side tracks and things like that. We spent a lot of time setting up what we were yeah. going to talk about and talking about the movie and the property in general, kind of geeking out a little bit uh, more than we typically do. But yeah, I think the story, honestly, it's pretty straightforward and it should be because it yeah. is based on a property for kids. It, it needs to be simple enough for, you know, I was seven when I saw this. And so you Same. want it to make sense, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be a stupid movie. I don't think you should ever make a stupid movie for kids because kids aren't stupid, but it doesn't have to be super complicated and, you know, with a t- bunch of subplots and backstories. And yeah, there's probably plot holes in here big enough to drive trucks through if you were, we were really to step back and look at them. But like, so what? Because again, it's a movie that's supposed to entertain kids. You just right. want it to be good enough so that those kids can grow up with the movie and still like it, you know, when they're 42, as opposed to us <laughs> sitting here complaining about how dumb the movie is because, you know, Courtney <laughs> Cox is running around crying through half the thing. Exactly. And, and, and I think one of the one of the biggest things that I wanted um, as a kid and now as an adult is just more of the characters that we knew and loved. And I think just having simple scenes of like, hey, there's Orko, even if he's a puppet, you know, hey, there's Cringer. He's he's a he's a cat dyed green, whatever. You know, it's like like I said, in, in, the, in that opening, just having like Ram Man and and Man at Arms and, you know, Fisto and, you know, characters like that fighting alongside he-man we don't even need to draw attention to him just like oh look there's a dude in ram man's armor with an axe or like you know there there's a guy with a metal gauntlet like that must be fisto like that kind of stuff works well in this type of a film where you can just pepper characters throughout they did that in some of the the early x-men movies where there was just like background mutants that were like oh hey look at that That, that's you know that's so and so um, yeah, just peppering little cameos. People to this day still try to look at like X Men Three and try to figure out who all those weird like Omega mutants were. Yeah, oh, you know what? And I had an idea to, for Tila too. Now that I'm backing up, what if we have Tila? She gets thrown to Snake Mountain like two, you know, and maybe that person that was with Snake at Snake Mountain was, let's say, it was Evil Lynn because we didn't really use her. And you know, yeah. Craig, Meg Foster as Evil Lynn was like one of the best casting choices that we had in the movie. Um, yeah. So I think it'd be interesting if we didn't answer the mystery, but we just threw it in there of like, wait, why did Tila go to Snake Mountain? Like, what is her connection to Snake Mountain? But I just think it would be interesting since we have at least one of Skeletor's minions who has to be there to like, you know, see Castle Grayskull move and like wonder where Skeletor is. What if Tila wakes up there and then her little storyline that she gets for, you know, maybe five or ten minutes of the movie is 
escaping snake mountain you know and she's like there alone you know like the lone woman oh, in, yeah. a, in, a, in a mountain fortress full of monsters including evil lynn and she has to escape and again it didn't it wouldn't have to be a really long side plot but it would definitely show that tila is a force to be reckoned with and not like the whiny complainer that we got in the movie i like it i think that would be a lot of fun i think if we really wanted to to like flesh out uh tila for like possible future stuff we could even have because because there's that whole green goddess Tila tie in the the original toys and the original mini comics. We could even do something like the green goddess is is another you know magical force on Eternia, much like the sorceress, much like Hordak, another magical force. What if Tila was her original chosen champion, like she was the green goddess's champion? You know, we could oh, we could yeah. play with that. Uh, maybe maybe like I mean we could even just hint at it. You know, for just like leave it open for a possible sequel. Um, but yeah, I like the yeah. idea of her having to escape Snake Mountain. That I've always enjoyed ever since the original Star Wars. I've enjoyed the the good guys in the bad guys base needing to escape. Yeah, exactly. And, always, and I, I, I like and I like the like damsel in distress turns out to be a damsel of distress. You know, too. Right. I like, <laughs> I like that twist too. Like let her kick some ass. You know, and she should be and able I, to do that. I think it would be really cool to have like, you know, like Evil Lynn. Oh, dude, this this would be funny. Like have Evil Lynn on the intercom in Snake Mountain because, you know, Snake Mountain had a microphone in the toy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but have her like calling out Tila's location and having different monsters uh, or, or different evil henchmen like chase her through the through the corridors and have her like beating the shit out of them and like going down another corridor. And like, you know, there's some kind of monster comes out of the wall, like the the weird dragon puppet in the fright zone, <laughs> have some kind of like snake head come out and she beats the shit out of it. I think that would be a really fun sequence. Yeah, you're right. And that would be a really good opportunity too to throw in some of those little like, you know, cameo characters like Evelyn, you know, because she can be on there just going like, you know, I don't know, like Moss Man, Trap Jaw. She's in, you know, she's in the snake pit or whatever, you know. Right. <laughs> and it, whatever. freaking Web Store and Stinkor and all them. Yeah, and exactly. And speaking of like budgetary or whatever, like you wouldn't really need to do much with those characters other than like you make like a cool looking mask outfit, whatever, for them to be in that like one scene. Right. You know, that's that's not a huge investment. You don't need to cast some big actor. They don't need to do a whole lot. Just look cool for a little while and then Tilly kicks their ass. Yeah, just run in and take a punch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, have her have some have her give her all the, the funny action movie quips, you know. I, I yeah. can't think of, think of a good example, but like, you know, she's in a you know, Stinkor is going to run in and just get fucking like clotheslined. And then you know, obviously it's, he's going to smell bad and, you know, she'll wrinkle her nose and and rattle off some witty, you know, one liner about like, you know, this, this place stinks. stinks. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, you know. So, yeah, I think that'd be fun. We got to use some of the cool characters we wanted to see instead of like the made up ones that weren't even toys to begin with. You know, we set it up for a cool sequel. We get to call back to the mini comics. Like, I think we we checked off everything we wanted to do and we you know even though we had a, a long lead in we kind of you know got into the story and got out and fuck dude i i would have yeah i think you're right this would be right up there with like you know the labyrinth and the princess bride and the dark crystal and you know the legend and all those you know great like action adventure movies from the time yeah yeah and i mean especially with with such a, a varied cast of characters and that's i think that was like i said that was the biggest thing missing from the original concept, like you, you take such a, a great property with so many unique characters and you only use a handful and you make them look nothing like their their counterparts. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that flopped now taking it and doing what we just did with it. Yeah, it would fit into that pantheon of films where it's 
the, it's remembered for their really crazy designs and their their fun looking characters. I mean, shit, you you think a labyrinth and it's like the the fireys or whatever they are, the sparkers or fires, I forget what they're called. They're yeah, in but, for one scene and everybody knows them. Oh you yeah, know, those guys are awesome. Right. They're just unique looking characters and and that's the kind of shit that this movie was missing and and I, I feel like, you know, we were able to to fix that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Labyrinth's budget was offhand, but there was a lot of cool, you know, set pieces in that movie, a lot of cool settings, you know, all in the Labyrinth, but there was a variety of like biomes and environments and yeah, yeah. tons of cool characters that just popped up once, like the the door knocker guys and like the like the little caterpillar lady in the wall at the yep. you know, when she uh when uh, Jennifer Connelly first gets to the Labyrinth. Like there's tons of cool characters like that. And then people you then you want and then they're very toyetic, you know, you want to make toys yep. out of them, you want to make, you know, merchandise out of them. And even depending on rights, like maybe a new character introduced in a movie wouldn't be able to make it into the the cartoon or even the toy line but then why not like then you just do a different toy line like they did in the real world and you have a toy line based on the movie versions of the characters and haha now you have this like new character but like you you (laughs) want to be able to but you again you want the characters that people care about the familiar characters like i remember as a kid if somebody had said like oh here's gildor and blade you know from the this movie versus if I had our, you know, fantasy version of the movie that we just made up where it was like, oh, cool. Now I get to have like this redesigned movie version of, yep. you know, even if it was just like, you know, web store and stink or like minor characters, I still would have gone for the cool redesigns of characters I already like rather than new characters I never heard of before. Same. Exactly. Not that there's anything wrong with adding new characters, you know, especially to make more toys out of, but I mean, yeah, I would have wanted movie versions. I mean, and and they proved it with the Ninja Turtles toys, because when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies came out, especially with Secret of the Ooze, um, they did like the uh, movie Turtles, where it was like it was basically the Turtles just redesigned to kind of look how they did in the movie with like rubbery skin. And then they had like the the movie version of the foot soldiers, the movie version of of, uh, Splinter. Then they had like Super Shredder and all that. And I ate that shit up as a kid. I bought them. It was all over that. So I would have definitely done the same thing for He-Man. Definitely. So I'm glad we did this, Mike. This is a good idea. This was way more fun, honestly, than I thought it was going to be. Again, as I'm not like the world's biggest Motu fan, but this was a ton of fun. It like took me way back to, you know, memories of being a kid and playing with the toys and watching the cartoon. I'm really stoked that I got to read some of those mini comics, which I read online, even though I hadn't read them in years and years. And I didn't realize that you could buy a big hardcover collection of all of them. And it's 1200 fucking pages long, which is insane. I, ha- I have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the big dark horse hardcover. Yeah. I, got. <laughs> and I, I didn't, and I didn't even realize that, uh, during the the period when, D, when they they were actual comic books, when DC Comics actually took over like the production of them uh, in two or three years in, they got Mark Texaira or however you pronounce that guy's name uh, to do the art like early in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Tex he went on to draw you know Ghost Rider and Wolverine and Punisher and like he was one of the hottest comic book artists in the in the 90s and still to this day. And it was like, oh, that's cool. Like early Tex art was really mm-hmm. cool to check out today. So yeah, I'm gonna have to get a physical copy and, and read the rest of them because they were a blast. But anyway, Mike, uh, as you know, we 
are a member of the Red Pantheon. We've mentioned a couple of the other podcasts already. Count Creepy Head, Saturday Morning Monster Mash, The Boogeyman's Closet. Obviously, there's a bunch of other podcasters and musicians and artists and photographers and a bunch of other cool stuff. All a member of our super team up called the Red Pantheon. So everyone listening to this should check it out at redpantheon.com or all over the social media at Red Pantheon. Uh, Mike, anything else you want to plug besides what we mentioned already? Uh, well, actually, I do want to draw attention specifically to Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash, uh, because we are going to be doing a little uh, synergistic team up here. When this episode does come out, that same week, we will be doing a countdown of the best Masters of the Universe toys over on Count Creepyhead. Leading up to, to the, that episode, we have like a couple brackets you know, peppered throughout some of our other episodes. But the episode that will come out the same week as this, so if you're listening to this, go check out Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash. We will be talking nothing but He-Man toys. And uh, it should be a really fun fun time to to have the, the toy conversation combined with this imaginary redesign of the film. Yeah, that's, that's going to be really cool, really fun. And I'm really looking forward to hopefully having like a true crossover episode or a couple of episodes, you know, coming up in the future here, too, uh, with Count Creepyhead. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. It's always a good time. As people know who listen to this show, I am not a toy collector. I don't know much about toys other than I loved them as a kid and I played with them. But, you know, I I collect comics and that's really my nerd niche but i love listening to uh the count creepyhead podcast you know every week as soon as it comes out because it's just a blast you know i love listening to people who just nerd out about the stuff that they are super excited about and they go on and on and get into all the gritty little details to me i find it fascinating i listened to another podcast today about musicians who talk about amps like amplifiers and Mm -hmm. i could not believe the level of like you know nerdy collector mentality and talking about all the different you know uh, designers and the builders and the brand names and comparing you know uh, custom builds and and you know home tweaks and customizations and i just couldn't believe that that was a thing but i love listening to that kind of stuff so yeah definitely check out country head go to redpantheon.com check out some of the other cool podcasts that are on there as well uh come visit me on instagram and twitter at comics boost if you like me are into comics and you want to check out some cool crowdfund campaigns and uh, anything else mike no i think that's good all right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. We talked a lot about social media just now, but you can look up more about this show at RaisedByRentals.com and Raised by Rentals on the social medias. We would love to hear some feedback, uh, comments, ratings. Let us know what you think. Uh, interact with us. And if you have an idea for what we should improv, improve next time, drop us a line. With that, I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Velvet Bethany.